Hey, so it is the sixth Sunday of 2021. So anybody want to take a guess where we're at in our Bibles today? We are in Luke 6. We're going through one chapter per week, first of the Gospel of Luke, and then the book of Acts. And I hope that as we make our way through this book, you'll take time to read that chapter. There's going to be a whole lot that we can't get to in Luke 6 this week, so I'd love for you to take time and read that in the upcoming week. Now, we're not just doing this because it's neat that there are 52 chapters in Luke's writings. We're doing this because I feel like we need to get back to basics and going through the life and ministry of Jesus and then following through with the acts of the apostles, his followers who carried the church forward. I think that that is a way that we can get back to basics. Now, when I played basketball, that was something that our coach always did. If we went into a game and lost big time, we could, we could just know that the practice following that game, one, we were going to run a lot, and two, we were going to spend a lot of time drilling the fundamentals. Now, I can remember one game in particular where we had 30 turnovers. And for those of you that aren't sports fans, I may be losing you here, but basically it means like we threw the ball away, we gave the possession to the other team, and it wasn't so much that they were playing great defenses, we were just making mistakes. We weren't passing the ball well. And I can remember my coach, David Sexton, he would always do this. He got this from Vince Lombardi. After a big loss, he would start the practice by saying, this is a basketball. In other words, we're going to start back at square one. We're going to act like you don't know anything about basketball and just start over from the beginning. This has been a really tough period for the church in America and for our church particularly. And so I thought it would make sense for us for this entire year to get back to the basics. And what we're going to talk about in today's message, I believe, is a fundamental basic idea that many Christians either don't know or don't think about. That's what we're going to see in Luke chapter 6. And so let's start reading in verse 12. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out unto the mountains to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Speaking of Jesus, he goes and he spends the entire evening in prayer. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. And from them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called the Zealot, Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with the crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases as well as all those who were fomented, tormented with unclean spirits, and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out from him and healed them all. Then he lifted up his eyes towards his disciples and said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men will hate you, when they exclude you, and revile you and cast your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day 
and leap for joy. For indeed, your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner, their fathers did to the prophets. Have you ever had a moment where you realized that something you thought for a long time was wrong? Maybe you have that moment where you realize you've been singing the wrong song lyrics to a song for years. Or maybe you realize that you've been calling someone by the wrong name. Or you put it together that so-and-so and so-and-so are related and you didn't even know that. It's a small thing. It's a simple thing. But it's kind of a mind-blowing experience because in that moment you think, how many times have I totally missed that? How many times have I just completely missed the fact that they're related? How many times have I sung those lyrics wrong in front of other people? You, you, you go, wow, how much have I gotten wrong because I had that wrong? In this passage of scripture, there's a, there's a truth that I had gotten wrong, that I had misunderstood. I want you to see the way that Luke uses the term disciples here in this passage of scripture. In verse 13, he says, when it was day, he called his disciples to himself and from them he chose 12 whom he also named apostles. Verse 17 says, he came down with them. So he was up in the mountain, he calls them, he comes down with them and stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem. Verse 20 says, He's speaking to the crowd, all of these people that are from everywhere, people who were sick, people who were demon-possessed. And then he sets his eyes on the disciples and says, and he begins the Sermon on the Mount. And we have the Beatitudes. Here's the thing that I, I got wrong for, for many years. If you asked me how many disciples there are, I would say 12. Because I always thought of Jesus had 12 disciples because that's just kind of how it was portrayed to me in Sunday school. But the truth is that Jesus had more than 12 disciples. We have accounts of him having 70 disciples. We have accounts of 120 disciples. He had a, a large crowd of disciples. He had 12 disciples that he would also name apostles. They were 12 that were called out. And so because I had this thinking wrong because I thought of Jesus had 12 disciples and then a whole crowd of other people. And I didn't think of that crowd as disciples and then those 12 as apostles. I spent most of my life thinking about the word disciple wrong. Now, what I heard growing up in Sunday school wasn't incorrect because those 12 apostles were also disciples. Just like someone could be a leader here at our church they're also a member. In fact, they can't be a leader without being a member. But you can be a member without being a leader. Do you see the distinction? These 12, they were disciples, but there were other disciples. These 12 were set apart as apostles. They were going to be leaders among the disciples. They were going to be leaders among the members of Jesus' following. Now, most people, I think, miss this idea because most people think of disciples as the people who are the leaders. And they think of a disciple as someone who was real close to Jesus. They were in that, that top 12 that led everyone else. But that's not really the idea. And there's a whole lot about the word disciple that I didn't know that I've, I've come to learn in recent years. First, the, the idea of a disciple, this wasn't just a Jesus thing. 
It's not that Jesus came up with the, the word. This word was used by rabbis and was even used by philosophers. There were philosophers in Greece that they had disciples, people that followed them around and learned their teaching and became kind of their apprentices. They became their assistants. And so when we think of disciples, we need to see Jesus is using a term that would have been familiar to the people in that day. They were people who followed the teacher around. And when we think of follow, even now, we think of maybe you following your favorite uh, athlete. You follow what's going on with Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning was one of my favorite quarterbacks. I followed him from his career at the University of Tennessee, then to the Indianapolis Colts, and then to the Denver Broncos. And then I'm still interested in the things that he does now. But I don't know Peyton Manning, and I'm not following him around in the same idea that Jesus says to the disciples, follow me. Because those people literally followed Jesus. They literally were with him. And when he went from one place to the next, they went with him. It was an honor to be a follower or disciple of a great teacher. It was a very big deal to be invited to be one of a great teacher's followers or disciples. Now, back in Jewish times, the children, when they were young, they would go to school and learning. They would receive a lot of training on the Old Testament law, the first five books of the Old Testament. And they would memorize much, if not all, of those five books. Now, when they got to about 12 years of age, most children would then make the transition into adulthood and they would begin working and they would um, begin uh, girls would start having children. Uh, it was incredibly different. But those that were the brightest would continue through that time. They would continue from the age of 12 to what we think of as adulthood to 16, 17, 18 years of age. They would continue and they would study all of the Old Testament, not just the first five books, and they would memorize much of it. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, some of us are struggling to read one chapter of Luke per week. These guys were memorizing the whole Old Testament. But of that group that went on, think of you have those that went to high school and then those who went to college. Of that group, there was another group that maybe they went to graduate school. They got their PhD. They were the brightest of the brightest, the best of the best. They would go and they would join themselves to a great teacher and become a disciple. And that great teacher would question them to see if they really had memorized the Old Testament. They would ask them about their perspective or their take on some, um, some controversial issue. And they would only take the very best of the very best. And then when you were invited to be a disciple, it was this exclusive thing. It was like getting accepted into a very prestigious school. When you were invited, you would go and follow that teacher everywhere. It was a big deal. And it wasn't just learning from them in a classroom or listening to them teach. It was going wherever they were going. As this teacher, this great teacher, would make their way to travel from place to place to teach in synagogues, you would go with them. You would travel alongside of them. And your goal as their disciple was not only to learn what they had to teach, but learn what they did and to become like them. You wanted to become a carbon copy of that person. And this is hard for our rugged individualism, our American idea of I'm different from everybody. I'm so unique. I'm so, I am just, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm like a snowflake. There's no one else in the world like me. It's hard for us to imagine making ourselves 
try to be exactly like someone, but they would do that. And they would try to become just like that teacher. They wanted their, their hair and their beard to look just like that teacher. They would dress like that teacher. They would speak with the same cadence and the same tone as that teacher. They wanted to be like that teacher. And John Mark Comer says that it was a common or customary blessing to a person who was in this life that was trying to be like their teacher, that was following them from place to place, a common blessing that you would give to them. Think of something you might say to someone who's graduated high school and they're headed to college, you know, you're gonna wish them luck. And so what people would say to this person, they become a disciple, would say, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi or covered in the dust of your teacher. In other words, you're gonna follow him everywhere. You're gonna walk with him through the desert on the dusty roads and may the dust that he kicks up cover you. May you be so close so identified with this disciple that you have his dust over you. So they would go and they would follow him and they would be with him and they would try to be like them. And then once they had spent this time with them and they had become like them, then they would go and they would do what that rabbi had done. And they would be a teacher who traveled from place to place and had disciples who followed along with them. And so the progression here and this, this, this outline here, this idea of this progression, John Mark Comer makes really clear. It's been super helpful to me. First, they would, they would seek to be with their rabbi. Then they would become like their rabbi. And then they would do what their rabbi had done. So become, be with their rabbi, become like their rabbi, do what their rabbi did. That's what they would do that was their progression. And this is something that's extremely exclusive. Only the best of the best. The rabbi's only going to take those who have gone through all of these forms of school. And so there's a beauty in the fact that Jesus has all of these disciples. And he's stopping at places like a group of fishermen that we saw in Luke chapter 5 fishing. And he asks Peter, come follow me. It's like someone who didn't graduate from middle school being invited to come take a place at Harvard. It was being invited into this prestigious club. But then Jesus starts inviting all of these different kinds of people. He's inviting publicans, tax collectors for the Romans. He's got Mary Magdalene, who's this known prostitute, following him around. This was an exclusive thing, but Jesus was offering this invitation to all of these different people to be disciples. And while there are 12 who are apostles, that they're going to be leaders among the disciples, all of these people are among the disciples. And that's the reason that it says he calls the 12 out of his disciples, but then it refers to all the other disciples, and he's speaking to all the other disciples. And so there were all of these people that they were having the opportunity to be with Jesus and to become like Jesus. And, and here's what I want you to see, okay? I want you to see that a disciple wasn't just the apostle or the church leader or the pastor. The disciple was anyone who wanted to follow Jesus. The disciple that was anyone who wanted to be a part of the new kingdom that Jesus was building. Listen. God may not call you to be a pastor or a church leader or to be on the stage of a church or to teach a group or anything like that. But even if you aren't called to serve in that capacity of leadership, God is still calling you 
to follow him. He's still calling you to come be with him, become like him, and then do what he did. Now, our idea of, of what it means to become a Christian is you learn some basic information about the gospel, and then with the snap of a finger, now you're a Christian. And for a lot of people, that's where it starts and that's where it stops. They don't move any further. Most Christians don't realize that they have just started a race, not that they have just finished one. When we would organize the Chandler 8K, um, our race was like a lot of charity runs. The starting line was also the finish line. And it's just, just easier logistically if where all of the timing mechanisms for people running over with the race bibs and that has the chip on it that times them, if when they, they run across it and then when they come back across it, it, it clocks their time. If you watch NASCAR, the starting line is also the finish line. The place where it is, this is the start, that's also where the finish is because they run in a circle, they run in a track. Most of the charity runs, the Chandler AK, it was a big loop. The Christian life is not a big loop. It is a journey that God is taking us from where we're at to something completely different. He's taking us to, to what he's called us to be, the life he's called us to live. And most Christians are running in circles or just standing on the starting line because they think the starting line and the finish line are one and the same. Jesus called these people to follow him and that invitation was an invitation to be with him so that they could become like him and then one day they would do what he did. The church is running in circles today because we think the starting line and finish line are all the same. Jesus wants to take us on a journey. Now, it's only by God's grace that we're accepted into this relationship with Jesus. It's only by God's grace that we're able to be disciples. And it's only by God's grace that we will be sanctified. It's grace that brought us here and grace that will carry us through. But there's a journey that we're missing out on. If we're just resting back saying, okay, I made it. God wants to take us on this journey. I think, I think that most Christians treat the Christian life like a connection, like a layover at a connecting airport. So my father worked for Delta Airlines. We would often travel for free, but the only way we could travel on the airplane for free was if there was an open seat. So what that meant was that there was a lot of times that we would fly from Nashville to Cincinnati or Nashville to Atlanta, Norfolk to Atlanta, and that was the place that you would get on a plane to go to Orlando or go to Denver, to go to see the family that we were going to visit. But we would get there and there wouldn't be an open seat on the next plane. And so we would spend a lot of time at that connecting airport. Now, most people are there for 45 minutes, two hours, three hours, four hours is a super long layover, okay? Sometimes there was a time that my brother and I, we spent an entire day in Atlanta airport. Now, the problem with being in Atlanta for the whole day being at the airport is that we never knew if we were going to get on the next flight. So it wasn't like we could go see Atlanta. We had to stay at the airport. Sometimes when people travel internationally, because of, of, of when flights can leave, they'll have 24 hours at a, at, a, at a layover, and they'll actually go out and see the city. I'm afraid that most people, they think of where we're at right now is, all right, this is not my home. I'm just passing through. I'm not where I was. I'm not where God's going to take me. I'm just waiting. 
The truth is that in this Christian life that we're living, in this time that we have on earth, there is so much that God wishes to show us. And if we're not careful, we'll treat this life as just a place where we're waiting around. And we're going to look around maybe in the airport for a little bit. And there's so much that God wants to do in us and through us that we are missing out on. Um, God may not have called you to lead, but he has called you to follow him. This isn't our final destination. It isn't our home. But there is so much that God wishes to do in and through your life in this time. God wants you to be with him, to become like him, and then do what he did. And I'm afraid that in my own ministry and in my own preaching, I have failed you and that I have emphasized parts two and three of that. I have emphasized becoming like Jesus, and I have emphasized doing the things that Jesus did or doing the things that Jesus called us to. And you can never accomplish that without doing the first thing. Jesus would call these 12 men to be his apostles. They were going to have some major responsibilities going forward. But at this point, they really didn't have much of, there wasn't really much functionally that was going to be different about them. They were just going to have greater access to Jesus than other people at this moment. Of all of the disciples, these 12 were going to have the most time to be with Jesus because there was the most that they would have to do for Jesus. And I'm afraid that I've, I've preached and I've called and I've ministered and I've led hoping that we would do the things like the apostles did, but I haven't taught you, I haven't inspired you, I haven't pushed you, I haven't led you to do the first thing that they did. That is be with Jesus. Let me give you an example from one of my first jobs that I had. When I was young, I mowed yards, I worked um, uh, hauling hay, and straw on a farm, but like the first job I had um, where I was part of like a, a company was I worked for Chick-fil-A. Now this was back in 1998, 1999. Chick-fil-A was not as big as it is now. I think maybe I'd eaten there once or twice, but I got a job there because they were closed on Sunday and I was very involved at the church. Um, and so that was a great place for me to get a job. And so I got this job and had like two nights of training in a room and then we would start our, our job, we start working and we worked alongside, we were shadowing someone. And so I shadowed someone who's running the cash register and then I ran cash register. I, I shadowed someone who ran uh, the fries and I ran fries. And so they would, they would put you with someone who was, you would be with that person seeing how they did it. But one day in the summer, I got a call really early in the morning. It's about 7.30 in the morning and it was the manager. And the manager wanted to know if I could come in. And I said, well, yeah, sure. I don't have anything going on today. When do you need me there? And they said, as soon as possible. And I said, it's 7.30 in the morning. And they said, yeah, we need help right now with breakfast. And I'm pretty sure that it was at that moment that I learned that our Chick-fil-A did breakfast because we were in a mall and the mall didn't open till later. What I didn't realize is that our Chick-fil-A served breakfast to all of the mall employees and the mall walkers. So I throw on my uniform, I get there. Normally what happened was the owner of the store and the manager would work this shift and they had close relationships with lots of these employees who would come in every day, every other day. They worked in other places in the mall and these mall workers would come in every day. 
But what had happened is when the owner got there, he felt very sick. Later, he would find out he was having a kidney stone. So I get there, and he is in pain in the back, waiting for his wife to come pick him up. The manager is trying to take orders and also make the food. And she says, can you run register? And I said, yeah, I've done that plenty of times. But when I look at that register, it's like a completely foreign object because its display is completely different. Because instead of all of the Chick-fil-A uh, items that I'm familiar with that we serve at lunch and dinner, it's breakfast stuff that I didn't even know we made. I didn't even know we were serving breakfast until 20 minutes previous to this. And what happened in the following hour and a half was like just a disaster. It was me saying, I'm sorry a thousand times. It's me calling to the manager of my shoulder who's making food at the grill. Um, I'd never done that before. I'd never been with anyone. Now, if someone had given me the opportunity to be with them as they ran that shift, I probably could have picked it up pretty quickly. But I couldn't do what the owner did and be that, that face of Chick-fil-A to these longtime customers like he was because I'd never been with him in that moment. And you see, you can't do steps two and three do what Jesus did, become like Jesus. You can't do those things if you're never with Jesus. And what happens a lot of times is we come to church and we're here for an hour. We, we engage with online worship. We sing. We hear a sermon. It gets us all excited. And then we go back to work and we go to our families and we go to back to normal everyday life. For these disciples... They would step away from all of that to follow Jesus and be with him 24-7, 365 for three years. They would spend this time with him. They would be his disciples, meaning they would be covered in his dust. They would live in his presence. They would hear Jesus teach, but they'd have more access than that. They would walk beside him and ask him questions about the parables and the messages that he had given they would debrief with him when miracles happened or when they tried to help people and they couldn't. They would sit with him. They would share meals with him. They would watch him experience um, grief and hunger and weariness. They would be with him. You see, the better word for them that equates to our understanding and our language today would be not student, not follower, but apprentice. They were apprentices of Jesus. They were with him every step of the way. Now, if, if it was possible for us to do that, if we could, instead of spending one hour at church and 167 hours every week in the world, what would that do? What would it mean if in, instead of your child being at church for one hour a week, maybe three weeks a month, 48 hours a year? I mean, you realize that your children have already had more hours with their public school teacher and public school friends than they've had with our, they will have with our children's ministry volunteers all year. What would it mean if we could flip that You know how we fix that? It's not having church every day. It's not quitting your job and, and, and everybody moving in together on a compound. Um, 
It's recognizing that three hours from now, 12 hours from now, 36 hours from now, 72 hours from now, Jesus is just as available to you as he is in this moment. We must learn to practice the presence of Jesus. We must take Jesus with us as we go to Toyota and Azteca and Chandler Elementary School and the college and to the doctor's office. We've got to take Jesus with us. In last week's chapter, there was this really important verse. Pastor Eric did a great job on Luke 5. But there's this one verse, it's just kind of mentioned as an aside. It's Luke 5 and 16. And look back there. I encourage you to underline this, highlight this verse. Luke says in verse 16 of chapter 5, So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. What we'll see in Luke 11 is that Jesus has another one of these moments where he sets aside some time to pray, and when he's done, he comes back to the disciples. The disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray. And I think when we hear that, we think, I think we hear Jesus, them asking Jesus, teach us how to pray. But they ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. And I would bet that most of us know how to pray. We know how to call on God in some form or fashion. But do we? We might not need to learn how to pray, but we probably do need to learn to pray. What they learned from Jesus being with him was they learned his practice of experiencing the presence of the Holy Spirit, connection with the Father. And that practice, that habitual time of, of connecting with God, of making it clear, being clear on the fact that God's presence is right here with us in this moment. That's what they picked up on. After I left working at Chick-fil-A, I had a couple of jobs. One of the jobs I had was I worked for this company that managed foreclosed properties. People would often um, leave a, a house when they decided they, they couldn't afford it anymore, they couldn't sell it or whatever, they'd walk away from it. And so the house would sit empty. And so these banks, when they took possession, they needed someone to care for the properties. And so when I first started in this job, I'd, I'd go along with these guys who had a truck full of equipment to do some things that were pretty technical, some that were simple, some things as simple as making sure that the grass was mowed so that the bank didn't get fined for letting the grass get too tall, some things that were as complicated as clearing all the water out of all of the plumbing lines, that way it couldn't freeze and burst and not wreck the house. Um, and when I started, I just went along with these guys and I took care of simple things. But as I was with them, I began to learn these things. And after some time, as an 18-year-old kid, I had my own truck of equipment and I was going and I was doing these jobs. And I had never sat in a classroom and received training for this, but I had been with these guys as they did these jobs. I'd helped them, I'd learned from them. And I was able to do these things that they did. Now, something else that they did every morning after they got their work orders is all of them would stop at the 7-Eleven, which was just down the street from um, the office, the warehouse, and they would all fuel up their trucks and go in and buy coffee and cigarettes and donuts for the day. Now, growing up, my family was not the type that you stopped at the gas station and got something to eat or drink. You just got gas. If you wanted something to drink, you, you brought that from the house because gas station drinks were expensive. 
So I'd, I'd never grown up really buying things at the gas station other than gas. But you know what I did when I had my own truck? I would stop at the gas station as soon as we started the day, and I would gas up my truck, and I'd get coffee and a donut from 7-Eleven. I picked up that habit from those guys. I didn't pick up smoking from them because my grandfather had died of lung cancer, so smoking was never in the question for our family. But I picked up that habit from being with them, spending all of that time with them. Jesus' disciples were walking with him day by day, picking up from him what they could and probably a lot of things that they didn't even recognize they were picking up at the time until they looked back at it. And they became like Jesus. And they were a mess. Listen, I mean, they, they weren't the exclusive top-of-the-class guys. These guys were a mess. But being with Jesus made them like Jesus, and they were able to do the things that Jesus did. They were able to teach and preach the message of the gospel and see lives transformed. When Jesus invites Peter and he says, come after me and you'll be fishers of men, he says, you're going to capture the hearts and minds of men. You, a fisherman, are going to capture the hearts and minds of men. You're going to speak to thousands and their lives will be changed. How did that happen? It happened because Peter was with Jesus, spent time with him. That's what God has made available to all of us. At the end of Jesus' ministry, and he's telling his disciples that he has to leave, he says, don't fear because I'm sending the Spirit, so I am with you wherever you go. And the disciples were going to scatter and go in all directions of the globe to take the gospel message, and Jesus was going to be with all of them. And listen, in a moment when this worship experience online is over, you're going to go your way, and whoever else is watching this is going to go another way, and the people who gather at our worship service in person they're going to scatter but jesus can go with all of us and we can practice the presence of jesus we can do step one be with jesus wherever we go and if we are with him we will be more like him and we will be able to do the things that he did this week Let's practice the presence of Jesus. Let's be with Jesus.